0: All right, hello and welcome back to the Historical Humans Podcast. My name is Justin Woods, and today I am joined by my lovely co hosts, Colin Coleman and Gwendolyn Allen. And today we are going to be talking about The Book of the Dead, which was sensationalized by the 1999 classic hit The Mummy, starring Brendan Fraser. Now, with the mummy, it's a little more complicated, and the Book of the Dead is a little bit more intensive. And um, I think before we dive quite into that column, I think we should probably talk a little bit about the history of Egypt just to contextualize and build up our knowledge of what this wonderful, wonderful place entails.
1: All right, so uh, the Book of the Dead spans uh the... uh <coughs> almost three millennia-long history of ancient Egypt, uh, and uh, it existed in its many forms. However, never once was it a golden book as seen in the movies.
0: Wait, you mean the movie wasn't entirely accurate to the history?
2: Oh, what a shocker, right?
0: Oh, oh, uh, okay, this is already getting a little too spicy for me.
2: (laughs) Yes. All right, so... Uh, Obviously, it's divided and whatnot, so tell us more. All
1: right, so the Book of the Dead, uh, in its uh, various forms, dates all the way back to at least the Old Kingdom of Egypt, uh, approximately 4,700 years ago.
0: So that's what, 2,700 to 2,200 BCE,
1: which is before Common Era? Yes. Okay. I love definitions. We're just bouncing around between them. (laughs) Uh, well, for
0: those of you watching at home, there's a huge debate as to whether it should be used BCE or um
1: BC. We're not doing this. Please.
0: BCE is before common era. It's pretty much interchangeable, but it's a little more appropriate for worldwide contexts. There
2: you go.
0: <laughs> I think I got that pretty push well.
2: pass that controversy yeah. right there. <laughs> Just Let's, Focus uh, on Egypt and time frames. <laughs>
0: we sidestep controversy uh, around here.
1: Anywho. to. Anywho, so what we're going to be talking about today uh, is, lar- I believe, most of uh, what we'll be discussing uh, with the Book of the Dead largely revolves around the Old Kingdom from 2700-2200 BCE. And the New Kingdom from 1550-1100 uh, BCE. Uh. <laughs> For the most part. I believe those were the two time, uh, time periods that popped up. However, yeah. the uh, Book of the Dead was used well into the Roman period, which uh, started in in uh, 30 BCE with the death of Cleopatra.
0: So effectively, you're talking 2700 years BCE to 30 BCE. So that's what? Like a almost 3,000 year time frame? So
1: approximately um, this, this book was in use for longer than Jesus existed. Interesting. Okay. So, you know, Egypt's been around
0: for a while. It was, it was old then it's old now. (laughs) Yes. I, I think one of my favorite facts about that, because you brought up Cleopatra is just the fact that she was born 2,500 years before the great or after the great pyramids of Giza and about 2,000 years um, before the first lunar landing. What that means is Cleopatra is closer to present time than she was the building of the pyramids. So it's a pretty large gap of time.
2: Yeah. yeah. I think a lot of people don't realize how long of a history Egypt has and how diverse it is throughout its different eras you know, the old kingdom is not gonna look the same as the new kingdom, even though it is still Egypt.
0: Which yeah. even though a lot of the pharaohs have been dead for quite a while, they still do a little bit of traveling.
2: <laughs> yes, yeah, especially Ramsey. Uh as uh in what was it, is nineteen seventy-four? Yeah. Uh he was set on a, a flight to Paris and he got his own passport so you know people are crazy about uh dogs getting driver's license and passports and stuff and yet we we give passports to uh, to mummies so
1: well that's because money talks thousand is- years after you're dead mummy money talks and so do mummies <laughs> mummies
0: <laughs> money for the mummies oh
1: God. I' cannot English today and I apologize to everyone who has to listen to this
0: it's okay. oh, all good it's just our bumble
1: English. So you know, but uh, speaking of mummies and the uh, and the pyramids, I think that's a good little segue to jump into one of the uh, most important parts of the Book of the Dead, uh, which is uh, what housed it. So the Book of the Dead, not a bound book uh, like we have today. Uh, instead, it's a more of a collection of spells and little vignettes and other things uh, designed for to help a specific dead person reach uh, the afterlife. And as such, uh, the buildings that housed these, uh, spells and the tombs of the dead were of very big importance in Egypt. Uh, you've probably heard of them, uh, at least the very famous ones in Giza. Uh, they are the pyramids. Lovely pyramids. (laughs) I apologize once again. Uh, the pyramids, uh, they date all the way back to the old kingdom and were mostly used during the old kingdom. Uh, not, uh, you know, not so frequently during the time of uh certain other famous pharaohs like Cleopatra, who was pretty distant from the uh, building of the pyramids. Uh, uh, just to dive, uh, into the architecture a little bit, the pyramids began, began as a thing we know today as mastabas, uh, which are just these flat uh, brick benches uh, <laughs> that ex- that are, you know, they're massive, but they're flat. They're not conical in any way. It's just a giant rectangular building. And uh, we first get the pyramids uh, in the 2600s with uh, the Step Pyramid of King Djoser, which is built by a name you might recognize from the films of Hollywood, One Vizier Imhotep. Ooh. architect of the Ooh. pharaoh uh, surprisingly not as evil as uh, as you might have been led to believe uh, he built the first pyramid which was a step pyramid uh, <laughs> similar to what you might find in uh, Aztec or uh, other pyramid building cultures uh, he did it by just building slightly smaller mastabas on top of each other
0: what are you doing uh, step pyramid
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah And uh, it's not until the fourth dynasty after this that we get the big, famous, conically shaped pyramids that we all know and love. And I feel
0: like that should be a good point to get. Today's just going to be the episode of controversies. Uh, I, I think it should be pretty well suited that, you know, pyramid shapes across the world tend to be some of the easiest ways to stack rocks and dirt and that it doesn't necessarily need to be extraterrestrials to uh, help
2: accomplish oh my gosh. that goal. I mean, why Not, do you have to bring up aliens?
1: Why, be- why do we have to bring that up? Because... Yes, and, <laughs> right, and I will back that. Um, I'll back that because uh, in between the Steppe Pyramid and the Great Pyramids of Giza, there are several very much failed attempts uh, in Egypt, including the Red Pyramid and the Bent Pyramid. <laughs> During which time, The Bent Pyramid is what happens when you literally collapse the building you are standing on halfway through building it. Uh, they had to change the angle by about 15 degrees to keep the entire structure from collapsing on itself halfway up. So the pyramid goes like this and then like that. <laughs> and that's why it looks bad because these are people learning how to build things. And, and if you had the instruction manual already, you wouldn't need to learn how to build things.
0: And they've also proven that the the main pyramids at Giza were not built by slaves. They were actually skilled craftsmen and stonemasons. It's like, huh, you're building a super massive structure. You're gonna hire the experts. And I think they were the experts, considering the fact the pyramid is still there.
1: Yep. But. And, uh, Yep, and uh, yeah, speaking of uh, all these wonderful pyramids uh, and our books of the dead, of course, uh, I think uh, now might be a fun time just to jump into a lovely little ritual uh, called the Heb Sed. Um, this ritual is recorded all the way back to the Step Pyramid of Jozer. Uh, <coughs> it is a renewal of the, uh, of the Pharaoh and of essentially, the, by extension, the life of Egypt. Uh, this lovely little ceremony took place, uh, in the, uh, complex outside the pyramids because pyramids aren't just the conical structures themselves. They have entire, uh, fake palace complexes built around them specifically for the dead to perform rituals to ensure the renewal of Egypt and of their souls. Uh, the heb is a procession, uh, wherein the spirit of the dead, uh, in, that is left on the immortal plane, uh, known as a ka, is marched, uh, marches from the pyramid to a boundary stone and back again in a ceremonial procession, uh, ensuring that he, essentially ensuring that the spirit r- retains its vitality. And, uh, it's a very, uh, very lovely ritual, and some of the, uh, earliest examples of the Book of the Dead come from little vignettes depicting this, uh, ceremony in the uh, step pyramid
0: now column we keep talking about this book of the dead how were we able to read it or read these various books of the dead like
1: well well to start with because i know what you're asking for but first uh just gonna say the uh we compiled these books of the dead from you know 3,000 years of Egyptian history, uh, various uh, spells, charms, carvings on tombs and reliefs. Uh, however, it was uh, all unintelligible to us uh, for the better part of two millennia until I believe it is Napoleon Bonaparte uh, comes across a, uh, a certain rock now famous for its ability to uh, teach you languages. Uh, we are not sponsored <laughs> by the company, uh, but yes, the Rosetta Stone.
0: Yeah, um, which the Rosetta Stone was the key to being able to decipher Egyptian scripts and hieroglyphics because what it was is it was an official decree that was um carved into three sides of the stone in three different languages. Uh, the first one was in hieroglyphics, the second one was in uh Demotic stri- scripts, and then the bottom one was actually ancient Greek, which hey we actually remember how to read so a lot of smart people went through and basically figured out okay that this word means this hieroglyphic and from there we were able to actually translate and understand even more than just the book of the
2: dead so we were able to understand uh all the hieroglyphics that we were able to see inside uh, the pyramids and the burial chambers because it's not just hieroglyphics that are on um, the kind of uh, burial goods, the grave goods, um, but it's also on the sarcophagi. It is, you know, on the walls that lead into um, the, the chamber that houses the sarcophagi and the hallways in the pyramids. Uh, so we think of the pyramids as just housing like one thing. Um, And yet it houses a lot of stuff. And normally the art on the walls depicts, um, you know, the path uh, to the afterlife um, and the life of the person that is residing in the pyramids. Normally kings, but, uh, you know, depending on how wealthy you were and what you could afford.
1: And also also depending on what era you lived in.
2: Yes, very, very true. Uh, not completely throughout all of Egypt's history. It just pops up in, in different places.
1: So yeah, so, uh, yeah. For, for a bit of a general context, uh, things like uh, the Book of the Dead as we know it, uh, pyramids, and you know, of course, mummification, which we will touch on later, uh, those were originally, uh, in the Old Kingdom, available more or less exclusively to the pharaoh himself. Uh, this is very much an elite religion. Uh, for the uh, for a large part of Egypt's history. Uh, and it's not till about the new kingdom that, you know, anyone can, you know, can have access to this.
0: So what you're saying is you have to be very rich and important to get buried in a pyramid.
1: Yes. Which, and, you know, to, and to, by extension, you know, have your body preserved and, you know, get to heaven. The, so the kind, of, kind
0: of a weird modern context, but, um, nicholas cage actually has a burial pyramid uh purchased already a mausoleum for when he dies
2: well i mean a mausoleum and a burial pyramid are kind of different it so.
0: is a pyramid though it is a pyramid
2: it is a pyramid yes. okay that is that is interesting
0: uh, you know that you could probably dive more into why you think you deserve a grand burial but you know I, I digress imagine if someone did that in modern context though just bought like a hundred acre parcel of land and just built a mega pyramid you know your your jeff bezos for example builds like a 500 <laughs> foot pyramid in the middle of washington or texas or wherever he lives just yep this is where i die uh it,
2: well now you would have to get a lot of permits uh or you would have to buy it in cemetery land. But yeah, no, very, very interesting. I do like, though, that the reason that um, the Book of the Dead became a, a lot more popular in the New Kingdom era was because the myth of Osiris became more popular. And so people thought that the rituals that went with the Book of the Dead were way more important um and could be for any person so they went up to scribes and they were like hey i want to purchase like you know my own personal book of the dead like it was normally like a few spells but because it was so popular and so many scribes were demanding it they started producing these you know uh I used to say it's between like 180 or something like that spells that people could buy depending on their price range. And so they kind of got demanded on how kind of like self-publishing became a demand in like modern (laughs) times. If we were to look at an equivalent.
0: Self-publish your your book, your death script, basically. Uh.
2: I mean, you can. So the big thing with the book of the dead is that because it's not, you know, I, like in a mass produced way, it's, uh, you don't have the set chapters. There's no like concrete one. It's specific to the person because the spells and rituals that you'll have to go through are going to be different if you're a merchant or a soldier or like a king or a farmer um, because of the negative confessions that you'll have to do. And we'll, we'll get into that later. Um, but that was one of the reasons why people would get specific ones to them because you, you needed different, you know, rituals and spells that you were going to go through in your afterlife, depending on your own
1: afterlife. Yeah. And, uh, and a little note on your point, Gwen, um, the version that uh, I used when, uh, researching this topic, uh, for this, uh, podcast, uh, contains 190 spells exactly, uh, for guiding the soul to the dead. Uh, uh for those of you interested uh the version uh we used is in print today as an actual book uh it is the uh version c- compiled by E A Wallace Budge of the uh British Museum uh around uh the uh early 20th century uh and uh you can already tell Justin has problems with the phrase British Museum The but only reason aliens. And he has done enough controversy for today.
0: The only reason the pyramids are still in Egypt is because they could not physically be carried to the British Museum.
1: That's just just a lack of industriousness. I mean, Germany carried off the entire city of Pergamon.
0: Uh, Well, and also, you know, colonialism. France still owns and maintains the Rosetta Stone. It is, uh, I believe it's actually in the Louvre.
2: (laughs) didn't they take like a part of the, the Pantheon? They took the Elgin, else?
0: the Elgin marbles for sure. Yeah.
1: Britain has the Elgin Marvels, uh And uh, I, I don't know if Lulu still has the Rosetta stoner or if they put it somewhere else. I, they I
2: they do rotate quite a bit. It
0: definitely has not been repatriated,
1: though. It has <laughs> not been repatriated. Oh, no!
2: But <laughs> but Repatriation? It has not been repatriated,
1: just, but off the top of my head, like I'm not sure if that would go into an art museum like the Louvre or into more of a history museum like uh, one of the many others around Paris.
2: Well, you Do you guys remember, not to bring up too, too much controversy, but How's, do you remember... We need to counter. <laughs> let's, fight,
1: let's fight on tangents. Let's go.
2: Okay. Uh, do you remember when uh, ISIS was destroying a bunch of like Egyptian, like historical, like landmarks and things when they were rebelling and the fucking British Museum came out and was like, see, aren't you glad we have all these Egyptian artifacts and things? Because if we have left it to you, you wouldn't have been able to protect it because they were in fights with uh, Egyptologists and you know other like diplomats and people wanting Egyptian artifacts to come back to Egypt um, for tourism and just for culture and things like that, and that was one of the arguments they use. Well, the whole ISIS rebellion and destruction was going on, and not like oh we feel bad that like your country has to deal with these people. It was no, aren't you so glad because we can take better care of it over here on our little island.
0: See, uh, well, one I don't think that was quite ISIS. That was the 2011 rebellions against the president, but close enough. I mean, ISIS. No, there were
2: rebellions, but there was also ISIS came in. But yeah, yeah,
0: it's it's really funny. It's almost like you need to decolonize the field. You need to, you know, get get rid of the white saviorism. Like we take better care of your history because we care. It's like no, So for, for context, a lot of th-
1: this was this was Justin's entire college career uh, in about two sentences.
0: <laughs> yes, basically, I, I focus on something very similar with North American, uh, Native American, indigenous communities of like, hey, as the white archaeologist, I probably shouldn't be in charge of the history and of the past of someone who's not my ancestor is kind of the gist of it. So, the fact that the British had the audacity to just be like, oh, yes, we are definitely better at stewarding the history and cultural heritage. It's just, it's a little, it's a little full of themselves. And also, fun fact about uh, those lootings and um, ISIS um, going off on another tangent and controversy, because we're just on a roll. We are hobby lobby the united states based (laughs) company was caught paying isis the terrorist organization millions of dollars for looted artifacts and just just throwing it out there why do you think this arts and crafts company is uh working to accumulate a historical collection do you think they're avid historians amateur archaeologists
2: oh my gosh no (laughs) no
0: Uh, here we I hate
2: Hobby <laughs> Lobby on so many levels. Uh, I can't even get into yeah. it now.
0: They were compiling these artifacts <laughs> to build their own fundamentalist Christian um, creationist museum.
2: Yeah, that does that does not surprise me. So I also find it funny that they enlisted ISIS to help them with this endeavor.
0: Well, yeah, they're not going to legally acquire them. God forbid.
2: Well, I just, I just find it funny with their whole, like, wars in religion. (laughs) And yet, (laughs) we can work with this other group to then loot and destroy this ancient religion and culture to then benefit ours. Like, it's, it's just such a workaround when you think about it.
0: What, what's the, what's the old saying? Like wars and religion but partners in business <laughs> like you can have ideological differences as long as there's money to be made
2: oh and yeah. money makes the world go round.
1: all right speaking of ideology let's uh
2: let's come full circle let's
1: come full circle let's come full circle guys Fair. Uh, so uh here, here's a question for everybody out there um when the egyptians uh put uh uh, their pharaohs and uh, other such pe- important people into their tombs and pyramids. Uh, what do you think they thought that happened to the soul? What happened to the soul? Oh,
0: well, uh, you know. I know. I know. Pick me. D- does it go to purgatory? Does it go to hell? Was there heaven?
1: Well, uh when would you like to take off with this? Cause you're, you're <laughs> yes, yes, I would. Let's do, all right, Thank Egyptian you. soul. Here we go.
2: I raised my hand like a good student um (laughs) yeah so the soul or I guess the you know was divided into two parts so the ba and the ka so the ba goes to the afterlife that is the one that goes on the journey that's talked about in the book of the dead but the ka remains in the mortal um you know, spear within the vicinity of the body. Uh, So it inhabits all the funerary statues um, that is like their former self that you'll see in a lot of these uh, pyramids. And so the offerings for the deceased that are put in the pyramids or done in general um, that was to be made to the ka of the deceased, and so those are what they're used for, which is why the tomb in the pyramid is kind of like the the house for the ka to live in and to interact. Um, which is another reason why going into pyramids and looting is like really really bad um, when it comes to uh, the religious aspects of ancient Egypt,
1: especially considering that. The, these statues uh, were considered embodiments of the person uh, via their Ka, and that the Ka needed everything a living human being needed to survive, uh, which yeah. includes, you know, fresh offerings of fresh food and water and things like that. So, this is literally a house that someone is living in, uh, according to the traditional Egyptian belief.
0: Now, would this be a fair point, or something where we could mention uh,
1: Howard Carter?
2: I mean, we could, I guess.
1: <laughs> well, you already said it, so you might as well go off.
2: I, I, yeah.
0: Little unplanned tangent. Sorry, guys. But um, I feel
2: like you had this planned.
0: No, not actually. No, otherwise I would have. I would have had a note on it. But. Um, Howard Carter was the Egyptologist who discovered uh, King Tut's tomb and in doing so unleashed what is um, affectionately referred to as King Tut's curse in which the, what is it? Like three of the four or five of the six people who went into King Tut's tomb died of very random and tragic causes over the next decade. Um, we we were talking about curses and about things that are listed on the tombs and that's something that was used to try and deter um looters was putting curses on the tombs. Yeah. Yep. Anyways, sorry, mm-hmm. didn't mean to interject there.
1: All right. So
2: It's, it's okay. Uh but for the bob unless you want to focus more on uh Call. I hate to interrupt you. I just realized I did that column. I'm so sorry. No,
1: it's, uh, no, no, it's all right. So uh, you're not really interrupting. It's, uh, uh I was just going to ask if we wanted to, uh, if we wanted to go, uh, into a uh, little, if we want to go into the, the treatment of the body next, or if we wanted to go into the ba and the journey into the uh, afterlife, uh, which is what the book of the dead is a guidebook for.
2: Yeah. Um, well, I'd say let's talk about, um, the preparation of the body, since that's still in the and then we can talk about, uh, the ba and the book of the dead and what all of those things entail as kind of the meaty subject of our, you know, episode.
1: All right. All right. So, uh, all right, I'll jump off the cliff. Here we go. <laughs>
2: Thank you. Uh,
1: so as soon as I find it in our notes again, uh, mummification, <laughs> uh, was the primary, uh, Form of preparing a body for its interment and uh, its, uh, you know, residency in its permanent new house. Um, Like, uh, you know, like Fancy Tombs and the Book of the Dead in general, uh, this was only available exclusively to kings uh, in the Old Kingdom, but by the New Kingdom, if you could pay for it, you could get it. And uh, the version, um, the version I'll be going over here. Uh, initially, is the uh, is the fancy, expensive version of the elites of what you would think of when we think mummies and pyramids and Egypts. Uh, this version took approximately 70 days uh, to prepare the body for a funeral, uh, which is uh, an extreme amount of dedication and time to uh, invest in, essentially preparing a corpse to go in the ground. <laughs>
2: But it's so much more, so much
1: more. I have, yeah, I have wonderful views of death, guys. It's great. (laughs) So so to start with, uh, all organs except for the heart were removed and placed in these canopic jars, which are uh, lovely little jars uh, with, uh, I believe, traditionally spells and little heads of gods and other things on them to mark them as important. Uh, These jars with the organs would then be interred with the body separately, The heart was kept in the body uh, as it was believed to contain uh, the person's essence, their intelligence, their uh, emotions, their everything was in the heart. And uh, the heart was also uh, the one organ that you needed on you uh, in accordance with the Book of the Dead in order to enter the afterlife successfully. If you lost your hearts, uh, you had no means of, making an entry into uh, the afterlife, Uh, which uh, is why uh, in a lot of the Book of the Dead, there are a lot of prayers about uh, things stealing your heart and them not being allowed to do it.
2: Yes, this is very important.
1: This is very important. It's the one thing that has to make it. Um, Following this uh, removal, the body would be covered and filled with natron for about 40 to 50 days. Uh, Natron is a salty drying agent that would effectively remove all the liquid from the body over this course of time so that the body would not rot once it was properly interred. Uh, this is very important since, you know, we're going through such trouble to preserve uh, the body. We wanna make sure it doesn't actually, you know, get all disgusting uh, once we leave it there. After all, this is the inhabitant of a soul here thats uh, that we're dealing with. There's no reason it should look uh, filthy.
2: <laughs> yeah, you gotta beauty it up for the afterlife.
1: The body is then stuffed typically with uh, linens uh, to sort of fill it back up, because now keep in mind it has no moisture, it has no organs, so it looks very desiccated. So we've got to get it back into a humanish shape so that it looks normal and can be a proper vessel for the ka that is being left behind. Uh, Once uh, this is done, the body is is wrapped uh, with multiple layers of linen and uh, charms and prayers are recited over the body and placed between the various layers of linen and uh wrapping the body uh it is wrapped so many times uh that it actually takes 15 continuous days of wrapping to fully mummify a uh a mummy um and i think it is important to note that um uh as we mentioned earlier with the scribes writing out uh the uh the various uh Spells and charms for the books of the dead for various people. Um, you needed a very, you needed a specific priest uh, who was trained in the Book of the Dead to write out these charms. Uh, not any priest could do it. Not any person could do it. Uh, if it was done by anyone except for a uh, properly uh, ordained and trained spellmaker, uh, the spell was effectively useless. Yes,
2: and these uh, scribes and spellmakers took great pride and dedication in the spells that they do so even at the end of certain spells uh, like we'll get into when we get into um, the main one of the weighing of the heart is at the end they put that they have done such a good job in helping you get through this path and making it that they themselves will have an easier journey when they come forth to do this because they are so integral into getting people into the afterlife so it was a very important um thing and a very honorable thing
1: yeah yes it was and then following this 70 days of preparation um it was also important to uh move the body across the nile uh to its tomb, uh, I you know I think it's important to mention that uh, the Egyptians had a side of the Nile that was for the living and a side that was for the dead. Uh, I believe it is the uh, uh, you move from the eastern side to the western side uh, when carrying a body to be interred, and uh, this procession uh, was meant to be as elaborate as and lavish as you could make it. Uh, it was a form of ritual public mourning for the dead person. A uh, form of uh, saying, "Look here, this is someone who mattered, who was important, who had things. Uh, behold them." Uh, it. The only thing I can really compare it to uh, is essentially a New Orleans funeral. Uh, except that is a it, that that seems almost too bright and happy <laughs> compared to what. Uh, the Egyptians would do uh as uh people would literally rip their shirts off beat their chests and scream and you would pay people to do this and march with you across the Nile
0: I just I from a cultural perspective though I just it's very fascinating because clearly there's a high level of importance on death and on dying to the point where they it, it almost sounds like they were worried They were highly concerned about what happened to them after death. Now, was it something of like, we live this great life. I want to continue that in the afterlife. Does it tie a lot more heavily into their um, beliefs and mythology? I know we talked about Anubis and Horus. um,
2: Yeah. So, um, The big thing uh, I I would say one of the big misconceptions about uh, Egyptian culture is that they're culture obsessed with death, and they're really not. I mean, death is definitely a big part that uh, we see and what they're most known for, but they're really a culture that really values life, and they saw dying as a continuation of that life. So when you get to the afterlife, let's say you pass the weighing of the heart trials, you get to go to what is basically paradise. Uh, it's called the field of the reeds. And that was living basically in a mirrored image of Egypt and your life in Egypt. Um, but that's close to lakes, rivers has a cool breeze is the most idyllic version. And because they valued home and family and life so much, is you lived your life as you lived it when you were alive in the afterlife. So yeah, the I wouldn't, same. yeah, I wouldn't say they're super focused on death. Um, the only thing that truly scared them was not having an afterlife so if you fail the trial your heart gets devoured and so your soul seeks to exist and that was the most horrifying part of death to egyptians if that answers your kind of questions and thoughts
0: yeah it it does and it does tie a little bit back to the mythology too because wasn't that the whole basis of of ra the sun god that during the day he would go uh, to the overworld and then go to the underworld at night the whole like coming and going of day and night
2: yeah he does make the trips um i'm not as familiar with that um story i I, I do have some
1: knowledge of that so generally this story uh there are many references to uh the sun barge which is essentially uh Ra's uh, giant ship that carries the sun uh, through uh, this world and the world of the after uh, of the afterlife. Um, this was essentially a ritual cyclic renewal of life and existence every every night when Ra went to bring the sun to the underworld for the day of the uh, underworld. Um, there was a chance that essentially the sun could be destroyed and consumed. Uh, by a snake deity known as apep and uh a number of prayers in the book of the dead uh speak of fealty to the sun barge and that you know i am you know a great and noble person uh you know when you look for me in the afterlife you will find me upon the sun barge you know aside you know beside Ra, and when the and when you know the and when the hordes of uh of darkness and evil come i shall stand there and i shall cast them back into the darkness um so it is tied to the book of the dead the sun barge was a thing that uh you could you could get on it was a essentially a place you could serve in in the afterlife uh which uh is not too bad of a place to go uh if you are a warrior uh because essentially the afterlife is the idealized version of Egypt, Every, you and your job, and everything that you brought with you. There is a perfect version of that in the afterlife, waiting for you if you brought it with you. So, if you're a soldier, well, there's the perfect battle between you know pure cosmic good and life in Ra and the sun barge, and pure cosmic evil in the darkness that is the serpent of Apep. Yeah. See, I'm there are also you knew that. other gods. <laughs> There,
2: yes, are there are also
1: other gods that help too yes, um, on his transition. Yep. Uh fun fact, uh there is a god uh which uh, I believe we is a good segue into a, a myth uh, you want to talk about, uh, Gwen. Uh oh, yes. the god set, one of the few good things he does is he does mm-hmm. serve as uh, as essentially uh commander in chief of the forces on Ra's uh, sun barge. He is the first warrior uh, there beating back the forces of chaos and darkness and evil on the sun barge. The one good thing this man does in all of Egyptian mythology. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and uh, the his bad thing uh, goes back to the cult of Osiris, uh, which is a lovely story. Uh-huh.
2: Yes, Uh, so we mentioned earlier that one of the things that uh, really brought the popularization to the Book of the Dead for uh, a lot of the more common people, and not just, you know, royalty and elites in Egypt, uh, was the myth of Osiris, and so what essentially happened in this myth, because it is a little long, we're just kind of going to spark notes it, um, that the brother of Osiris uh, set uh, becomes very resentful of Osiris's uh, success and um, the law and order and abundance that he's put into the earth as he's ruling it. And also, um, his wife, uh, nephetis I-, I might be saying that wrong, um, is so enamored by Osiris that she shapeshift into Osiris's uh, wife, Isis, and proceeds to sleep with Osiris and becomes pregnant uh, and has Anubis. Bit of a problem. Uh, so she abandons Anubis, so worried that Set is going to find out. Well, he does, uh, and it does, it does not go well. Luckily, Anubis is adopted by Isis, But uh, when Set finds out, you know, this disgrace and already, you know, resentful and angry towards his brother, decides that he's going to kill Osiris.
1: And I'd like to just step in for one second, please, if I can, Gwen. Uh, I'd like to point out here that we would like to make distinction uh, between Isis, the goddess of magic and queen of the afterlife, and the terrorist organization. They bear no relationship whatsoever, Mm -hmm. uh in any way, shape, or form. Uh, (laughs) uh, One is uh, the former, the one we are talking about is the relatively good and benevolent goddess of magic.
2: (laughs) Yes, yes. Um, (laughs) Definitely not a uh, terror organization. It is uh, an Egyptian goddess yes that's good you point out um just so that people know i always forget sometimes that people don't know the origins um
1: uh, so set is plotting to murder his brother osiris over this yes it it gets a little awkward
2: (laughs) (laughs) so he plans uh to murder his brother obviously very hard to do uh he is you know the ruler of earth at this time and so he decides that he's going to have a beautiful coffin made um to Osiris's uh, specific height and measurements and everything. And he was going to throw a party. And at this party, he was going to present this box to his guests and be like, whoever fits in this perfectly can have it as a gift, because this would be a very good, like a very you know good and beautiful gift to have. And so when Osiris is like, well, yeah, I'm going to lay down in this coffin. I want to get this. This is a cool gift. Mm-hmm. Uh, Set slams it shut and throws it into the Nile and is carried down the river. Um, obviously, uh, freaks Isis out um, and she goes looking for him. And so his coffin eventually uh, lodges into a tarmascus tree and that's growing and uh, the tree grows quickly around the coffin until it's completely contained it. Um, and so... In this place where it is, Isis eventually finds it um, and has it cut down. And when she goes to revive Osiris, when she brings him back to Egypt, uh, Set finds this out. And he decides that he is going to cut up his brother's body and you know spread it all around uh like across the land and into the Nile and everything so that he cannot be revived, uh, by his wife. And when Isis returns from gathering the potion that she needs, uh, is horrified and goes to work to, uh, quickly gather all the pieces. Uh, she is, she doesn't gather all the pieces. She's missing a few. Um, but she's gathered enough and she revives, uh, Osiris. And um, there are variations in this myth, I should add. Uh, But when she uh, revives him, she assumes the form of a kite, which I believe is a type of bird, it's not like a paper kite, um, flies around him, uh, draws his seed into her body and becomes pregnant uh, with the son Horus. Um, and so now that Osiris is alive, even though uh, complete, he can no longer be ruler of the land of the living. Um, so he goes to the land of the afterlife where he becomes uh, the Lord and the judge of the dead, or I should say one of the judges of the dead.
1: Uh, he is king of the afterworld uh, and the afterlife. And uh, going to answer your question. Uh, a kite is a term for a uh, large vulture.
2: Okay, cool, so I was right, it was a, a Yeah, it's
1: a vulture. Uh, it's it's essentially a vulture. Um, not a particularly nice one either.
2: No, well, okay, aggressively became pregnant with Horace. I guess we'll we'll go with that.
1: So, it's, uh, all right, so let's leave it there, all right.
2: Yeah, uh, we'll, and, uh, we'll leave it there. And,
1: and uh, <laughs> look, look, looking at some things here, uh, I believe we're about to get into the real, uh, the, our headliner for the night, the uh, Journey into the Underworld and the Book of the Dead. And yes. so I'd like to take a quick moment here. I'm going to run down a little list of uh, some of the gods and monsters uh, that we uh, that we might encounter on our way here uh, just just before we dive into it. And then, Gwen, I'll hand it off to you and we can go all the way down uh, to the uh, to the field of reeds and make it there ourselves.
2: <laughs> Hopefully. All
1: right. So to start off with uh big man himself, uh, Osiris, uh, king of the afterlife. Uh, he is a uh, humanoid god uh typically depicted as a sort of green man uh he's important because it's his cult that essentially popularizes the book of the dead and uh because he's sort of the king of the field of reeds uh we have anubis uh jackal-headed god uh uh technically son of set technically son of osiris it's a bit confusing um he is uh osiris's right-hand man uh in the afterlife, his, he is uh, responsible for essentially running the uh, uh, Hall of Truth and uh, setting up the scales and all the things that you would need to do to judge a soul's worthiness. Uh, we have Thoth, uh, a Ibis-headed, which is a, uh, a form of a bird. Uh, he's an Ibis-headed god. Uh, he is the god of knowledge. Uh, he is present to record the names of all souls worthy and unworthy. Uh, who enter the hall and attempt to enter the afterlife. Uh, we have Ra. He's an eagle-headed god, god of the sun, uh, basically a uh, king of all existence. Uh, he also gets to be present here and judge your worthiness. Um, we have Ma'at, uh, the goddess of truth. Uh, she donates the feather of truth upon which all souls shall be judged. Uh, very important uh, deity there. Uh, We have Whip Wawit, which is uh, a personal favorite of mine. He is an old (laughs) kingdom god. Uh, He is responsible for uh, separating the Ba and Ka and seeing the Ba set out on its journey into the afterlife. Uh, He is a wolf-headed god, and uh, his cult is largely replaced by both those of Anubis and Osiris over the course of Egyptian history, but he is still a wonderfully fun name and a very early deity, so I keep him around. Uh, There are the 42 Judges. This is a collection of the 42 gods uh, who sit in the uh, chamber of the Hall of Truth and uh, are responsible for judging you. Um, They include uh, all the gods we've mentioned as well as several other uh, names because we haven't gotten all 42. We'd be here forever if we tried. (laughs) And (laughs) finally, most importantly of all, in my opinion, There is the one thing that all Egyptians feared when they sent their souls on this journey to the afterlife. There is Amut, a crocodile headed monster, uh, who devours the soul of anyone deemed unworthy by either the scales of truth or the 42 judges. Uh, she consumes your heart and she is absolutely merciless. Uh, and uh, just a fun side note, she is often depicted as Anubis's pet.
2: I would also like to point out that she is part lion and part hippopotamus, as well as the crocodile. So, the fearsomest creatures.
1: Yeah. Uh, truly hideous. Truly something you would only <laughs> ever expect to find in a nightmare.
2: <laughs> hey, she's
0: got a good personality, though, Okay.
2: I mean, Devouring Souls is definitely a badass personality. I gotta respect it. you know was a bad bitch stop myself. idolizing
1: the monsters <laughs> stop <laughs> idolizing we uh we, we must now take a moment here uh to remind gwen that we do not idolize the destroyers of souls and uh bringers of darkness
2: <laughs> i mean like in general we shouldn't endorse it but i feel like you gotta respect I, the i
0: i do respect we, it that's a pretty badass thing to be like of all the gods and all the jobs you could get stuck with to be like I'm just going to devour your soul. That's badass.
2: I mean, she was what so many Egyptian people feared as they valued life so much that once she devoured your heart, your soul did not exist. There there was a cease of exist uh of existing. And so, that puts some people in a pretty, like, good line of, of following the, you know, general laws of the gods.
0: Also, it's kind of interesting that such fearsome creatures, she was depicted as being a hybrid of the creatures, because you would think that those are some of the biggest um, predators that the people faced. I mean, the the crocodiles are all throughout the Nile River, like, you make one mistake in the river and... Get chopped up. Hippos are terrifying in the wild.
2: They're they're known for a lot of kills. This... Uh, I'd be more afraid of the hippopotamus than the lion and the crocodile.
0: The lion like, arguably is probably the most pass, like, docile and passive of the three because they tend not to attack unless they're hungry or looking for an easy kill. Yeah.
2: Well, I would say the the crocodiles too. But
1: yeah. Yeah. Although, to in 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 fairness to that uh Egypt as a known Egyptian mythology um the uh the lion goddess uh, uh Sekhmet uh, does have the highest body count of any Egyptian deity uh when she went on a berserk rampage over disrespect to the gods and proceeded to attempt to murder every man, woman and child in Egypt and nearly succeeded so there Wait. is clearly a connection between uh murderous prowess and the ability to destroy things and lions for the Egyptians. They clearly had a connection there when their when, goddess when, of destruction is, uh, is a lion.
0: With that being said, we respect and honor all Egyptian gods. <laughs>
2: <laughs> just gonna... We got to put an honorable mention here <laughs> yes. just, just in case covering yeah, all it, it,
0: If she's listening, we really respect you. I'm a huge fan of your work. Like, <laughs>
1: listen listen if i was concerned i'd be tying onks out of my microphone cord right about now
0: <laughs> uh,
1: anyway uh with uh with that lovely introduction of a massive cast aside uh uh gwen would you like to take us in on a soul's journey into the afterlife once the uh Ka and ba have been separated
2: yes uh so uh let me figure out how I want to start this. Uh, So generally, uh, the journey to the afterlife is considered dangerous. Um, It is in no way guaranteed that you will make it to the afterlife or the fields of reeds, um, as it's called. uh, Because of the intense amount of things that you have to know through the the trial and through honoring the gods making sure that you lived um a i guess virtuous enough life an honest enough life to to get through the trials um and then to even get through uh the the path from there to the field of reeds so One of the big reasons why the Book of the Dead is so important is because it provides context and guidance for this journey and to make it safe. So it's basically the equivalent to giving someone a cheat sheet for all of their exams, and you just have to read it aloud. Uh, So this was very important. My cat is apparently extremely excited about this uh, discussion uh, well, as all cats are, when we you talk about the underworld.
0: <laughs> also, fair mention that the Egyptians worshipped cats as they were gods, and that cats domesticated themselves in Egypt. <laughs> They're just like, huh? These big, these big creatures bring a lot of a uh, lot of mice and other uh, other pests around. Hmm, it's a feast, and they just yes. start hanging around. And then all of a sudden, the humans are like. These creatures, they are gods. I shall give them gifts and warm beds and houses.
2: They, they definitely have uh, the attitudes of that. But so the final destination that you would want to be on your um, journey of the afterlife is the field of reeds. Like we mentioned this, you know, idyllic near life of Egypt. But to get there, um, you had to go through uh, the hall of two truths. Um and in this hall, you would uh, you would have to know the name of every god that you encounter. This includes the god of the floor, the god of your feet. The left and right had different names. Um, and so you would have to say to them that I know you. And this is who you are and this is how, you know, I've lived my life according to you that I have not transgressed on you and their kind of general reply would be Ah, you know me, you may pass. Um, So that is one of the big reasons why uh, the book of the dead is uh, so large. (laughs) Um, And uh, To give you these cheat sheets and these scripts for you to say. Um, as well as the spells to kind of deflect the kind of evil uh, and chaos that would come towards you and try to distract you from getting uh, to the field of reads. So the weighing of the hearts is, I believe, uh, categorized in spell or chapter 125 um, that would be in the general printed Book of the Dead uh, that we know today. And so it describes the judging of the heart by the god of Osiris, um, Anubis, Thoth, and the 42 judges. So you would come up to the scales and you would give your uh, negative confession. And so your negative confession is basically your declaration of innocence to each of these judges on what Sins you had not done, that you could honestly say that you had not done. Now, these were different for everyone, obviously, like we mentioned before, because a merchant is going to have different um, innocence than a warrior, uh, because obviously a warrior is going to be held to different standards. Uh, So in the Book of the Dead, these listed confessions would be tailored to the person's life that they had lived so that they could honestly answer these and get through. Um, Some examples of this are...
0: So basically what you're saying is you would list off all the things you didn't do i kind of uh, like that like th- th- these are the sins i haven't done <laughs> yes. Yes. Um,
2: <laughs> they would also be like specific to the gods so like an example that i have is like hail neba who comest from and goest uh i have not uttered lies or uh hail uh set uh uh kesu Uh, who cometh from the Hensu, I have not carried away food. And so these were very, you know, specific of like, I have not uh, stolen, I have not slain men. Um, And these 42 judges were um, an invocation of uh, provinces, I believe, in Egypt, in uh, higher and lower. And there are also specific uh, nine gods uh, that were the great judges that would uh, converse uh, with Osiris and uh, Thoth on the judging of someone's uh, heart and their confession that they have. So we have Ra, obviously, Uh, the god of the sun, we have Shu, the god of the air and peace, Uh, Tefnut, god of moisture, Uh, Jeb, god of the earth, nut, god of the sky, Isis, uh, Nefitis, Horus, Hathor. And so they would all come together um, and uh, judge this person's confession. Uh, And if they deemed it, you would weigh your heart on the scale. Uh, And if the scale was lighter than the feather of Ma'at, um, you could pass. But if it was heavier, then it would get eaten. Now, in different versions of the Book of the Dead, uh, the negative confession would come uh, after the weighing of the hearts or before. And, and, and so it, it changes throughout the um, some versions we have before some versions we have after um but generally you have to pass uh both uh in order to go through on your uh journey
0: interesting
2: yeah uh and so uh yeah, so the god Thoth normally presided over these because he was considered, um, you know, the one of the wisest gods um, and recorded all the names uh, that entered into the field of reeds. And so this is one of the um, most consistent chapters that we find this in, I believe, all, if not nearly all, of the Book of the Dead Um uh versions that we have that uh we found so that was one of the most important um even if it changes a little because it was that trial period that you got and then once you get out of that trial period you have to make it across the lake i believe it's called the lake of flowers um if i am not mistaken And you had to make it through there with a rather um, irksome guide. And you had to deflect monsters and chaos that would try to drag you under. So like Colum said, there are spells to deflect snakes. There are spells to um, deflect crocodiles and so many different things um, that you could invoke and recite as you're making this journey. But once you make it, paradise. Um, though in some cases, um, for a brief period of time, uh, the Field of Reeves was not considered a permanent place to live, only temporary, which I felt really interesting. However, I didn't see a lot of um, further explanations on why it was temporary or what happened afterwards for it. but. Yeah, so that's one of the big things of the Book of the Dead when it comes to um, mythology and having to know things and why you need a cheat sheet because there's so much uh, stuff, even when it comes to the 42 judges and just the names of the feet that you have to memorize and the walls and the floors and it's a lot.
0: On the plus side, at least you've got your entire life to study for it.
2: (laughs) I mean, so one of the things is if if you knew you had an illness, um, and you know you felt like it was it was close to your time, you would have someone write this up for you because it obviously has to be handcrafted to your life. You have to be honest with the people making it um, so that you can do it. And uh, a lot of people say that one of the reasons why we can read the um, spells and things in the Book of the Dead is because we find comfort. I guess the people in Egypt would find comfort um, knowing that the people that they've lost are kind of secured in their journey to paradise because they have this chi chi with them, which is actually very interesting because one of the things um, that make it so that you've lived an honest life is not cursing the gods, and so mourning is obviously allowed, and people are given a specific time to mourn but if you go over that and you curse the gods for taking away a loved one that's not living an honest life because you're not um you're not believing in the gods and, and and the plans and the things that they've done uh so if if you do curse the gods for taking some away from you then you're believing falsehoods and that's one of the things that you have to put in your negative confession to make it through
0: interesting
1: yeah and uh, throughout all this, the heart is the most important organ, which is why it is the only one not taken out of the body. Uh, so then, to ensure that at the very least, your Ka has it at the start uh, when when he when he and the boss separate to start off the journey.
2: Yeah, it, it must be weighed, or else you cannot get through, because it is that is how you get judged. righty. So oh, yeah, that is that is the beautiful Book of the Dead.
0: Wonderful, and I think that would be a good point. Unless do you have anything additional to add, column?
1: Well, just I thought it would be nice since uh, we do in fact have a copy of the uh, EA uh, Wallace Budge version of the Book of the Dead with us, uh, just to give uh, the people listening a little sample of uh, of what some of these prayers sounded like.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: If, uh, if we still have time, of course.
0: Yep. I, I think we got time for the, for the, um, little recession or recitation there of the, of the section. And then we can go into our last little bit and wrap up here.
1: All right. So, uh, the selection that, that I've chosen, uh, for us today, uh, gather round my disciples (laughs) Mm. Um, Story is the giving of the heart to the deceased uh it is chapter 26 of the ea wallace budge version uh taken from the papyrus of ani uh sheet 15 may my heart be with me in the house of hearts may my heart be with me in the house of hearts May my heart be with me and may it rest there, or I shall not eat the cakes of Osiris on the eastern side of the Lake of Flowers. Neither shall I have a boat wherein to go down the Nile, nor another wherein to go up, nor shall I be able to sail down the Nile with thee. May my mouth be given to me so that I may speak therewith, and may my two legs to walk therewith, and my two hands and arms to overthrow mine foe. May the doors of heaven be open unto me. May Seb, prince of the gods, open wide his two jaws unto me. May he open my two eyes which are blindfolded. May he cause me to stretch apart my two legs which are bound together. May Anubis make my legs firm so that I may stand upon them. May the goddess Sekhet make me to rise so that I may ascend unto heaven and that I and that that may be done which I command in the house of the Ka of Ptah in Memphis. I understand with my heart, I have gained mastery over my heart. I have gained the mastery over my two hands. I have gained the mastery over my legs. I have gained the power to do whatsoever my Ka pleaseth. My soul shall not be fettered to my body at the gates of the underworld, but I shall enter enter in peace and i shall come forth in peace Interesting. Uh, that is uh that is chapter uh 26 of the book of the dead uh wherein the uh wherein the soul receives his heart and is made to rise up from uh from his body
0: interesting it's kind of cool to hear it recited like that um you know you grow up you you hear certain religious texts repeated frequently it's kind of interesting that they they kind they almost have the same formula of that repetition and that like detachment there
1: well uh with uh, with a notice on that um egyptian uh history and the book of the dead uh it was in practice during the times of the writings of uh, uh the old and the new testament uh uh, for Christianity, which uh, is uh, religion, uh, many uh, of our viewers, I believe, will be familiar with. Uh.
0: Yeah, Christianity—it's yeah. a little prolific.
1: So you know
2: the—it's just a smidge. The the,
1: the, uh, the writing styles for a lot of these is contemporary with either the Old or the New Testament. Uh.
0: Interesting. And um, to kind of continue forth and to segue a little bit. The last little section I have here is just bookmark some interesting archeology span and news that has come out of Egypt in the past year in 2021. There were uh, a couple of really big things that, that jumped out.
2: Oh yeah.
0: Um, one of the coolest was they uncovered the tomb of Ramses, the second's chief treasurer. So the one who controlled a lot of the finances, um, they discovered two additional 2,500 year old tombs in Southern Egypt. Um, my personal favorite. And I think one of the biggest that have come out though, is they've actually discovered a city near Luxor that dates back to about 3,500 years ago. So pretty, pretty old.
1: Um, let me think that would make it at 3,500 years old. That would, uh, make it a, uh, That would make it a new kingdom city.
0: Yeah. So So,
1: uh, around the time when uh, this lovely little book was uh, becoming very popularized.
2: (laughs) Yeah.
0: And uh, something of note that I thought was kind of interesting, and we touched very briefly about it when we talked about the looting, but there's actually a chief um, minister of the state for antiquities and affairs, Dr. Zahi Hawass, who is kind of the head honcho when it comes to Egyptology and archaeological excavations in Egypt. He tends to be the main point of contact, the one who does a lot of press releases, which is good and bad um, <laughs> because he was in, he, he was good friends with uh, um, Mubarak who was deposed in 2011 during the, the chaos. Um, but Also, he kind of domineered the the field, forbidding archaeologists to announce their own findings, um, courting the media for his own gain. Um, Certain people are actually denied rights to archaeological sites because they were too amateurish. Um, It's... It's a good and bad thing. Like, there's a lot of gatekeeping there, but a lot of people argue in favor of him because it is a certain level of stewardship over their culture. I mean, one of the things we did not talk about is the prolific looting of mummies throughout most of history. Like, in the 1800s, they used mummies as uh, fuel for trains when trains were first introduced into Egypt. They just (laughs) chucked them in.
2: They literally ate mummies at Victorian parties, and that is one of the main reasons why we don't have a lot of mummies to study from what we used to have um, was because of cannibal, fashionable cann- cannibalism.
1: So you could also you know, grind up their bones and snuff it as medicine.
0: Uh, yeah. <laughs> my personal favorite, though, of all the ways to destroy mummies was oh, yeah. to extract the pigment of um mummy brown it was a specific paint pigment that artists would use and it's very interesting because you can actually tell um real paintings from uh fakes or from recreations or like uh, forgeries because of this pigment because they would literally blend up the the mummy and it would create this pigment that artist would use
2: (laughs) yeah uh so i mean just from all of that i definitely understand um the strict stewardship uh that is really enforced um because it is a culture that has been trampled on uh so much by you know archaeology um and there's been a lot of uh, disingenuous interactions uh, when, it, when it comes to archaeology. I mean, Egypt is such a famous topic, and there's so much fascination um, with ancient Egypt. And yet Egypt itself doesn't see that kind of uh, tourism revenue in the same way that these other museums do because they hold these artifacts. Um, I mean, in, in Chicago, we have like the mummy exhibit that comes around. Every now and then, and people will flock to go see it, um, but Egypt itself isn't seeing any of that money, and that's something that they should, as this is their culture and this is their history that was taken from them, popularized, and then monetized. So. And yeah.
1: additionally, oh, Sorry. And additionally, too, with uh, with the looting, um, this is um, unfortunately this is a lot of the looting and a lot of the obsession, a lot of the take, take, taking is something of a drawback to uh, massive monumental funerary architecture, like the Great Pyramids. um, Like uh, There are hundreds of other pyramids and funerary complexes that we did not go into and did not mention. That would be a whole uh, dozen episodes on their own just to go through them all. Um, And when you do that, and when you put a ton of money, not just into the building, but into the goods of the tomb itself, That does tend to attract a lot of people who want to take it
0: yes i i'm gonna jump up on my soapbox here um (laughs) for for just a moment a lot of the fascination with ancient egypt one stems from the the great pyramids and two stems from like ancient knowledge i mean cleopatra mark antony julius caesar there's a lot of historic references to it but also we really should pay mind to the fact that Egypt has been pretty regularly colonized through a majority of modern history. I mean, it was an enclave for the Roman Empire. The um, Islamic empires tore through it. Hell, even the British and French were occupying Egypt as recently as, what, the 1960s, 50s? They really have not been independent for long.
2: No. Yeah.
1: And, and I would also, uh, I'd also like to make a note, um, to, uh, uh, on that too, is that, uh, Cleopatra was a member of the Ptolemaic dynasty, uh, which itself was not Egyptian. They were, uh, they were a Greek kingdom. Yeah. Uh, the entire, uh, the entirety of the Hellenic period from 323 to 30, uh, BCE, that was technically a foreign occupation, uh, you know, where the uh, pharaohs were all Greek. uh, They managed to achieve pure uh, Greek lineage through means of, shall we say, Alabama marriaging. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh,
2: I mean, we do want to insult some people we can we could just we, use the general hey, we've already
1: insulted the british uh about 10 times over in this podcast they uh, deserve I mean, it though it's a
2: bit deserved
1: <laughs> though
2: <laughs> i feel like we can shit on the we, british just a little bit we, from the we are we, we are whatnot.
1: we are throwing a lot of things out there and um even uh even in the uh late new kingdom immediately prior to that um egypt was ruled uh from persepolis uh which was uh, the persians uh about a about 500 to a thousand miles uh, east of the actual land of egypt uh, so they, it
0: yeah they spend a lot of their lot
1: time lot. not ruling themselves and being a part of other systems some of which were better than others
0: <laughs> it's definitely justified that they want to reclaim that heritage reclaim that lineage and that's actually something you see quite often a lot of times with repressed and um, groups that have experienced a lot of colonial trauma like that is this resurgence and um, re-ownership of um, a renewed interest in their heritage and in their lineage to connect them to that past because after a while you start feeling like you lose parts of your identity your culture I mean we see it a lot today with uh, modern indigenous communities across the world I mean, First Nations in Canada, in the U.S., Australia, there's been a lot of language revitalization. There's been a lot of interest in and um, in a lot of work done to over the stewardship of these historic materials.
2: Yeah, And I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful thing to see. And I think as, you know, anthropologists, archaeologists, you know, we should definitely be at the forefront supporting this. Um And it it is sad when you see other people, you know, with within our discipline um, pushing back on that uh, because we have to we have to own up to our mistakes like the British and colonialism Um, (laughs) um, of of this trauma that and hurt that we have contributed and caused. So
0: and it, it poses this modern ethical dilemma to really bring this on a full tangent. But there's a, there's a really big modern ethical dilemma in a lot of academic fields of what do you do in these situations? Is there a certain level of care that you should impart to these artifacts? Because cultural resources are a finite resource. You don't gain new cultural resources. You only have so much. So like the British Museum during the revolt in Egypt, they made that argument of we are stewards of this culture, cultural heritage. And right now it's in great danger. And we've seen with ISIS the destruction of historic sites that weren't able to be preserved or put into museums or museums being looted. So there's a lot of the old guard, I'll I'll say as a polite way to put it, the old guard who say we are stewards of this heritage. We are the stewards of this history and we want to just preserve it for future generations to learn about, which at its core is a pretty valid argument. However, it starts losing its footing and losing its ground when it comes time to groups that aren't in disaster areas or that aren't, that are stable and able to take control over it. Like I said, a lot of indigenous groups are starting to take that ownership and take control and starting to really invest in ownership of the history. But there's a certain ethical dilemma, like in... I bring it back to North America a lot because that's where our area of expertise is. But like with human remains, there's huge debates. A lot of academics refuse to repatriate human remains because you can't make cultural connections to modern peoples, but it's still someone's ancestor. It's still someone's history. And it's just, at a certain point you need to help them, retake their ownership regain that culture that history
2: especially when it when it comes to you know you know uh north american indigenous people is that a lot of those beliefs are still held today Uh, they are mixed with other things because you have you know a lot of enforced uh christianity in a lot of those communities uh through uh colonization and, and ethnocide but you know, those are still like held beliefs, and a lot of those cultural things. So when you are um, taking those those ancestral bodies, when you're messing with those human remains, they those have real impacts on those people. You know, for the, their family members and the people of their community, and in their beliefs. Um, And you really it it comes down. uh, I mean, to me, I I find it very simple. It comes down to respecting people and cultures, because a lot of people want to use the excuse of science and making discoveries. And I totally understand that. Um, But in science, you have to draw the line of new discoveries and ethics and respecting, you know, human life and human beliefs. Um, that is why there are certain things that you just don't do in in science and psychology. And I think that's another way that we really have to look at it and, and understand it. Um, and especially with Egypt, uh, going back to it of, you know, do they have the resources? Well, Egypt had the resources before all of this was happening. So the fact that they then use this you know, incident uh, in this time period as an excuse to be those, oh, well, we have better resources. It's, no, they also had resources. And if that's what you're worried about, then donate, donate for funding, donate, you know, equipment and things that you think will help, but that does not give you a right because you have access to things for you to keep someone's cultural heritage. To get really serious for a moment.
0: Well, and the argument is really beginning to lose its footing too, because there was a, there was some credibility and credence to the argument of like you make it more accessible by having it in these museums, but now you're starting to see the emergence of digital exhibitions. You're starting to see a lot more worldwide travel, a lot more accessibility of being able to go to these places to see them in situ it, where they stand, where they lay, and be able to uh, honor that past and that history without overstepping, I think is a good way yeah. to put it.
2: Yeah, I, I think that's a great way to put it. We we have the technology now um, that these arguments, you know, they're in the past, there's no reason for them anymore. Uh, it comes down to you know, respecting the people and, and their culture. And I understand access to things, but at the same time, if, if these artifacts are spending more time, let's say at the British Museum than at the Egyptian one, well, their home should be the Egyptian museum. It should not be, you know, the British one. Um, and I think that's, that's, you know, really something that we, we have to think about um, when it comes to Egypt. And when it comes to other artifacts around the world, because the British Museum's got a lot of non-British stuff in it. Um, yeah,
0: it's uh, wh- where did you where did you manage to get such an extensive collection at the British Museum? Column, like, uh, wh- wh- where did you source most of this
1: stuff? I'm sorry, what? <laughs> I didn't. Uh, know, I think he's talking about
2: the source of information on. Uh, the, the british Egypt museum era. like
1: where where uh, did the british
0: museum get all their artifacts
1: hmm. well the uh book of the dead that we've been using which is from the early 20th century british museum is a compilation of uh several hundred uh vignettes and papyri which were uh, uh the egyptian version of paper was papyrus and papyri um several hundred of those uh this edition of the book of the dead um they are listed uh in here uh by their uh number in that was given to them by the british museum uh all 190 of them all 698 pages worth of text Hmm. Uh, this is not a small book (laughs) uh by any means uh it is an interesting read there are some uh there are some very uh there are some very fun little uh, uh charms and spells in here uh, that are just interesting to read and an interesting look at things. Uh, we do not make money off of any sales from this but uh yeah but, <laughs> but uh but... speaking of ancient speaking of ancient cultures and their beliefs uh, and their right to them uh, we have the Egyptian book of the dead uh, I think you know. And I think that's uh, that's about all she wrote. Yeah. And
2: yeah, then, what I were mean, you about
0: to
1: say?
2: Oh, yeah. I Just in talking about the British Museum is that, uh, you know, they got a lot of this through colonization. And I think we we have all kind of understood now imperialism and colonization is not something we should be doing. I mean, someone definitely needs to tell Russia that, but that's like a whole nother episode. Um,
1: and we just lost viewership <laughs> in another country. Here we go again. <laughs>
2: oh, but, um. You know, one of the, the other things, that will be fine. Um, but, you know, that happened after World War Two, and they were like, you need to, you know, not be imperialistic. You need to basically release these countries. Um, and though they were, you know, republics and they've become more and more independent, another thing is you also need to release these cultural ties. Um which I think is, is something we've been much slower, uh, to accept and talk about, but that's also really important to independence and identity and country. Uh, but we are definitely (laughs) off topic from, uh, the book of the dead.
1: Yep. Uh, with that, I'm going to end us with another excerpt. (laughs) Uh, So we can end, uh, because we are talking about memory and, uh, cultural remembrance. So this, uh, is chapter 25, Giving Memory unto the Deceased. May my name be given to me in the great house, and may I remember my name in the house of fire on the night, of counting the years and of telling the number of the months. I am with the Divine One, and I sit in the eastern side of heaven. If any God whatsoever should advance onto me, let me be able to proclaim his name forthwith and uh, uh that is memory
0: on that note i think we should wrap it up we're starting to go a little long um a yeah. couple of things going forward be sure to follow us on social medias uh so you can find the podcast on youtube spotify anchor um follow us on twitter and on um And also we have a discord server, so stay up to date with news and with, um, polls that we will have posted on there. Um, be sure to join us if you have any questions or if you ever want to, you know, chat it up with us, we'll be more than well, more than open and willing to to have those conversations like get involved. We, we want to hear your input. We want to hear what suggestions you may have for how best to improve the show and how best to, um, go about approaching these topics. Because uh, we have our own ideas and our own thought processes. But, of course, we don't speak for the masses. We speak for the three
1: of us. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: So if there's a topic you're really dying to see, be sure to leave a comment.
0: Yeah, let us yeah, know what you want to see. Um, but, yeah, be sure to to subscribe, to follow the podcast, like it, share it with your friends, family, cousins, best friends, neighbors. Um, oh, okay,
2: you know, just everybody. Let them listen to it.
1: <laughs> Yep. Anyone who's a history nerd or has a particular interest in these co- in, in these topics or, you know, anyone you just want to make listen to listen to our voices for over an hour for whatever reason that might be.
0: And um, I think we should also mention that our schedule is we release a new podcast every other week. So one every two weeks and those drop on Mondays at 12 p.m. Central Standard Time. Um nice way to do that is i post notifications in the discord server and youtube will um if you hit the little notification bell will prompt you when the episodes release yeah and um even more going forward just kind of housekeeping and uh, general things we also will start having some one-off episodes uh come up these will be shorter format shorter um, length Uh, the one we have coming up right now actually ties into our last episode with calendars we have an entire mini, mini-sode looking at our uh, Chinese zodiac signs and looking at how it influences our personalities.
2: And, uh, <laughs> commenting on how accurate or not accurate they are. Uh, so definitely very interesting for you to look at. Um, and our next episode uh, coming out on the 24th will be on oral histories. So that'll be a fun thing for us to dive into, and I hope that you look forward to it.
0: Yeah, so uh be sure to follow along and we'll catch you guys next time. will see see y'all good night. in the next episode.